Welcome to the Crown City Podcast. I'm your host, James DiPietro. This is a show that explores Pasadena and the things that make our neighborhoods our home. On this episode, I am proud to welcome Pat Amsbury, a small business owner, community advocate, and candidate for the Pasadena Unified School District Board for District 3. Having built a successful career in media and advertising, Pat and his family moved to Pasadena in 2003, and his journey in public education is an interesting one. He graduated from the home of the Aztecs, San Diego State University, where he, among other things, was a part of their water ski team. When it was time to look at schools for his own children, he wasn't able to lottery into PUSD to accommodate his son's special needs, so they ended up in a private school. However, inspired by the impact people can have, and with their kids getting older, Pat and his wife got involved with Madison Elementary, their local neighborhood public school. What resulted is Friends of Madison Elementary, a nonprofit donor-advised fund that provides charitable and educational support for students and their families, as well as teachers and staff. This involvement with Madison Elementary has led Pat to become an ardent supporter of Pasadena's public schools, and he decided to run on a platform of reading intervention and accountability. So, without further delay, my conversation with Pat Amsbury. Pat, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's an honor to be here, and I'm excited to host you here in the world-famous headquarters of Flying A Media. To get us started, can you share a little bit more about your background? Sure. I've been working in the media and advertising world really my entire career. My first job out of college was selling retail radio, and I've since then worked at either radio stations, plural, markets. I've managed regions of radio stations, and about 11 years ago, came to work for Flying A Media, which is a company started by my dad in 1978. So kind of taking over the family business, and he retired about three years ago. He's enjoying his real estate investment hobby, which is his version of retirement. More work and no golfing, but but everything's going great. I'm glad you followed in your father's footsteps. You have a very diverse career and are involved in several nonprofits. Who were some of your early mentors that were especially important to you? And these could be academic, professional, et cetera, and why? Everyone, I think, has someone in their lives that really makes a difference for them, that helps them move forward. And I had a college professor, that Dr. Friedenberg, and I remember he really saw something in me and gave me the, the courage to move forward and to get be active and to get involved in a lot of different activities. And so I, I give a lot of credit to him. More recently, I'll give credit to our mayor, the Honorable Victor Gordo, when he came to my house for his annual donation, which I was happy to give and had given every year. And he had asked me why, besides writing a check, I didn't really do much in the community. And he was he was right. I was a check writer and not a doer. And I said, Victor, what's one guy going to do to change the world? Now, this was before Greta Thunberg showed that a 15-year-old teenage girl from from Europe can literally change the world. But I didn't have that vision, unfortunately. And Victor challenged me. He said, if I gave you assignment, 
on one lot on this block to make a positive change. Do you think you could you could take that on? And I said, well, of course, one lot. I'd, Come on, Victor, that's easy. And he said, well, what if I expanded it and I needed you to make change in one block here in Pasadena and just take care of the challenges and problems of one block? And I said, of course, I could I could step it up and I could do one block. And he said, well, and then we add a second block and a third block. Could you do that? And I got the message at that point that everybody is capable of creating positive change in one's community by starting small. And it doesn't take a Greta Thunberg to change the world to bring positive change to one's community. So he really inspired me. And since then, I've taken on a lot of different activities and and boards and organizations and, or as my wife calls them, my buckets. Because I have a lot of buckets sitting around the house to put my energy into. You attended San Diego State University and graduated with a degree in business administration, but you had a really interesting time there. You were an adjunct professor in the PE department and were a member of and instructor of the SDSU water ski team, which I didn't even know they had one. Right. So what did you want to do as a career when you were in college? Because I look around your office here and you have guitars on the walls. You drive motorcycles. I was talking about you have a convertible that you drive. So what did you want to do originally? I was definitely a high energy guy. And my original plan was to move to Hollywood and to be a talent agent or a producer. So I thought after I graduated, I'd get into a commission sales job, one where I could make a little money, save a little money and prepare myself for the light days of working in the mailroom at CAA or William Morris. And so I started in radio sales in San Diego and I liked it and I developed some acumen at it and started to make a little money. And I, I have not yet joined the mailroom at CAA, but might be too late. I don't know, maybe not too late, but thus far I've continued on in the media sales and media sales management and, and now running my own company doing media buying. So working with the media salespeople that I formerly work with here in LA are now vendors of mine and friends. And so it's a similar business. I'm just on the other side of the negotiating table. Well, you worked for Clear Channel and CBS, a number of other groups while you're doing radio work. How has radio changed over the course of your career? It's changed a lot. There was no audio competition to radio when I first started back in the late 80s. Since then, we've seen the advent for satellite radio, which we thought was going to be the end of terrestrial radio as we knew it. It really didn't have a big impact. Then, of course, the Internet came and audio came to the Internet and everyone predicted that that would be the end of terrestrial radio or over-the-air radio as we know it. And that certainly had a bigger impact, podcasts and the Spotify's and the Pandora's and the iHeartMedia of the world have had a greater impact on listening because now you don't need to tune in just to your favorite radio station to hear your favorite music. You can, of course, create your own custom channel. And I have an all Taylor Swift channel. That's one of my favorites. I couldn't get that on any radio station. So uh, the, the infinite choice that the internet has brought to audio has had an impact. Yet terrestrial radio is really as strong as ever. There's this, this neighborhood feel that you get by listening to a local radio station that can't be replicated by an app or by a streaming service. And uh, podcasts certainly bring that neighborhood feel where you are speaking or listening to the same host week after week and getting to 
kind of feel part of the family and really get ingrained into the content. And that's the way local radio is too, with local radio hosts and endorsers and influencers. We used to call them just DJs, but they have a host of other names now. And really, when you, if you listen to your favorite radio show in the morning, you really become part of this neighborhood feeling. The, these jokes that go on that continue day after day or week after week are these recurring themes and characters. And it's still very compelling content that people get attached to. And so while radio listening, terrestrial listening is down fractionally, there's still it's still a vibrant business model and a great advertising medium and still thriving. It's interesting that you talk about the connection that people make on a local level to the radio. I grew up here in Los Angeles. And I listened to K-Rock. That was my station of choice. And I listened to Kevin and Bean in the morning for decades. And as you get older, you realize how those jokes kind of continue, how those relationships kind of continue. I can reference something to my, my buddy from high school, a joke that we heard on the way to school one morning from 1996. Right. It's amazing the connections that people make with radio, but it has certainly evolved. Like you said, the different entrants into the space that have really not killed radio at all. It's expanded the pie a little bit. Yeah, it has. It's, it's the old saying that a rising tide floats all boats. And I believe that's happened in the audio space too. Now there's such a plethora of choice of all types of informational type podcasts or entertainment podcasts or podcasts about anything that you can possibly conceive of and streaming stations that allow for infinite choice and how you put together your playlists or your special mix of music it really is wonderful as a listener and uh, to your point still terrestrial radio there's still a place for terrestrial radio it's live and it's local and it's immediate and but still particularly the news stations have uh, really taken up a spot that the decline in newspaper readership has left and there's an increase in people listening to live and local news radio to get their local journalism which is an important cornerstone of democracy so we're lucky to have a thriving live local the KNX radio stations of the world that provide that immediacy to the news world. You moved to Pasadena in 2003 and settled in the Orange Heights area, which is near Garfield Heights in the bungalow heaven. What about Pasadena makes it such a special place to live? There's so many things that make Pasadena special. We we fell in love with Pasadena because two of my college roommates grew up here, and we would come, and my wife and I would come and visit them, and they'd tour us around town, and we really felt Pasadena was one of the few towns in California that had this rich, deep history, this incredible old architecture, this thriving old town district, and and beautiful trees, just a verdant atmosphere. And we said to ourselves, if we ever, our careers ever bring us to Los Angeles, Pasadena will be the place that we live. So when my my career brought me to Pasadena in 2003. We only looked in Pasadena and we fell in love with Orange Heights. It's a wonderfully diverse part of Pasadena and that was the type of environment where we wanted to raise our children with great socioeconomic diversity, just diversity of all kinds. We wanted our kids to grow up with people not all looking exactly like they did. And so Orange Heights has been just an amazing community. We have lifelong friends there after 20 years and no plans to ever leave. 
you have a unique resume as your volunteer work far outnumbers what you've done professionally. And I think that speaks volumes about your interests and values. You've long been a member of the Rose Bowl Aquatic Board and are a uniformed volunteer for the Pasadena Police Patrol. And this summer, you joined the Pasadena Convention and Visitors Bureau to name a few other things that you've done. What about community service has been really important to you? I've found that there's so much that one gets back from what than what one puts into community service. It is a certainly a time commitment and takes away from other activities, but I've really determined there's so many things that I've wanted to do in my life and have not been able to do them. And now I get to sort of act out those things through my community service work. Being a member of the board of directors of the Rose Bowl Aquatic Center has been incredibly enriching for me and for my family. My son learned to dive there at the age of eight and went to college on a diving scholarship. And so the Rose Bowl really changed our family's direction and and the life of our son in a wholly positive way. So the opportunity to give back to an organization like that provides such incredible service to our community and our surrounding communities is really a great honor. So I've loved to do that. And I've been involved in other everything from the Boy Scouts to coaching every sport that many of which I'm not even sure how to play but I was a halfway decent coach we had fun we didn't win all the championships but we had a lot of fun and that's been really what's kept me involved is the the fun and the people that you meet when you're involved in these different organizations and the ability to make a positive impact in one's own community, and particularly here in Pasadena. Well, in 2017, you and your wife created a nonprofit called Friends of Madison Elementary School with the goal of to raise money for the school through a donor-advised fund. And examples of your work includes donating thousands of books. Uh, you procured grocery gift cards and helped food distribution at the school for needy families, purchased new appliances for the teacher and staff lounge, and provided pizza parties for a class with the highest attendance record, among probably many other things I don't know about. Can you share how you got involved with Madison? I was actually listening to a podcast, ironically, and it was about giving and giving money to large institutions, to educational institutions. And the the gist, gist of the podcast was Harvard has a lot of very successful people that will come back and give $50 million or $100 million. And on the occasion of those gifts, there's a nice ribbon cutting and a champagne toast and a small plaque that's placed upon the wall. And then everybody scatters and the school doesn't really change. It really doesn't have a dramatic impact on the lives of the students or future students or, or programs, generally speaking. And the theory that was put forth in this podcast is what would happen if someone that wanted to make that large of a contribution went to a school that really needed it, that really needed the help and that, that didn't have the programs, that didn't have the resources or the endowment of, of a Harvard. And I happened to be listening to that as I was driving home and driving by Madison and I just started daydreaming about what would what would it be like if my wife and I put our efforts towards a school that really needed the help and needed the resources. And so I cold called the principal. I cold called, I cold emailed, I called again, I emailed again. It took a while. I think I finally sent my LinkedIn link so she could see that I was not a completely crazy neighbor, but someone involved in other organizations. And it just started out as a meeting. And 
We started helping anonymously. It was important to us, and we said to the teacher, she, or the principal rather, she said, well, what do you want out of this? Your ideas all sound wonderful. What do you want out of this? And we said, we don't want anything. We don't want our name on the chalkboard or the or a, a ribbon in the hallway or a banner or we don't we don't even care if we get a thank you we just like to see if we can create some positivity in a environment where she had told me they really needed some positivity and they needed some resources so for the first 6 months we met sort of in the late afternoon where the students or parents wouldn't see us we just kind of helped very very quietly until one day she said you have to meet the families you need to meet the families, and you need to interact with the kids. And I said, sure. If that is, I don't have a problem with meeting everyone. I just wanted to show that it was, I wasn't after any adulation or thanks from anyone. We're happy to help privately. But we went to an event and met the families and the children, and, and it made a huge difference getting to know these families. It's a largely Hispanic student body. There's a lot of parents that English is not their first language, um, and I speak a little Spanish, so I was able to get by and meet some really wonderful families who have loving families and wonderful kids that go to Madison, and it really made a difference. I think it made a difference for the kids to see some people that don't look like them helping and caring about them. I think that made the same difference with the parents, too. And it really tightened our connection and our bond to the families of Madison and the surrounding community. How has your work impacted the school, and how has it impacted you personally? Well, it's changed us personally forever. We've really now understand the power of a little caring and what what a little bit of work and a little bit of money and a little bit of caring can do and how much impact that can have on a community. And we are forever grateful for the relationship that we have with Madison Elementary and our friends of Madison. And I know that we'll be working with that school for as long as I can imagine in the future. Well, this summer you announced that you would run for the District 3 seat for the PUSD board. Why did you decide to run now? Running for PUSC board or really running for anything was not part of my grand plan, but I last year applied for an open city council seat and got really interested in local politics for the first time. And I had some interaction with the PUSD board during the height of the pandemic, and I was advocating for vaccines and for masking and for the safety of children and teachers and the frontline workers at all of our PUSD schools. So I spoke before the board, had a lot of interaction with the board superintendent or the school superintendent and members of the board. And they were not always gleeful and wonderful interactions. Sometimes they were tough conversations. I was advocating strongly for the safest possible situation that we could have at our schools. My message wasn't always received in the positive way that I had hoped, but I volunteered with a PUSD at a number of vaccination clinics. I volunteered with the Department of Public Health here in Pasadena on their vaccination clinics. I spent invested our own dollars to create incentives for kids and families that were reticent about vaccines to get vac- to get vaccinated and and so I really 
felt like I made some sort of a difference. And this summer, uh, with redistricting, our house got moved into a new district. And when I discovered that the incumbent would be running unopposed, I thought, this is the time for me to step in, to not let this incumbent run unopposed, that I felt that I had the ideas, the energy, the enthusiasm to take on this role. And so I was a late entrant. I actually pulled the papers and became uh, a qualified candidate on the last day uh, available before the deadline. So how do you think PUSD is doing in comparison to our neighboring school systems like La Cunada, San Marino, Arcadia? Well, by almost any measure, PUSD is performing at a suboptimal level and below the level of other public school districts that presumably are getting the same dollar allocation from the state per student, if not less than Pasadena. We have a slightly higher number of special education students that are compensated by the state at a higher level. So presumably we have more money per student on average to work with, that we should have a thriving public school system. And my belief is that Pasadena cannot be the truly great city I know it is without a thriving and successful public school system. So that's what got me excited about getting involved, is to help be a part of that change and to bring PUSD back to the level it was 20, 30 years ago when it was really seen as a wonderful place to put your kids to school. You've talked about third grade reading proficiency, and PUSD's third grade reading proficiency is only about 48%, and its literacy rate is just 55%. You're sure that you want to make this a priority and that we need to hold decision makers accountable to raise this rate and create programs to increase scores before third grade. It's funny because when I was reading that, I remember a letter that we received just the other day from my oldest daughter's in third grade. And we got a letter saying, third grade is so critical for children. And I never really thought about third grade other than it's another grade. But third grade apparently is like a really key milestone. You're going from learning to read to reading to learn. Exactly. So it's basically the stepping stone for everything that comes. So third grade is really critical. What kind of accountability are you talking about when you talk about making decision makers accountable? What we need to do is to make sure that we have a superintendent and we have staff that really understand the mission here. The literacy rates that you just read are abysmal and embarrassing. And when a kid, at your to your point, at the end of third grade is not reading at grade level, that's really where the fork in the road comes and where better or worse life outcomes emanate from that. And so it is odd to think of third grade, such a eight and nine-year-old kids, that this is really a pivot point in life. But the data and the research shows that to be the case. And it's so frightening that our literacy level is so low in such a wonderful town with so many resources, with a JPL and a Caltech and Art Center and all the other wonderful companies and smart people that we have and resources, yet we have a public school literacy rate below 50%. It's just unacceptable. So what I intend to do when elected is to make sure that we have strongly worded goals for our superintendent and staff and that we put together a plan with them to make sure that we're addressing this through early intervention 
starting much, much earlier than third grade, but starting in pre-K and TK and getting kids on a good system so they can succeed and be literate and increase this literacy rate by double digits every year. Right now, the school board or the school district, rather, will be really excited when there's a 1% increase in literacy. And at that rate, it'll be 50 years until everybody reads. So we need to be making big chunks of progress each year. And it's completely achievable. We just need to have the right plan in place. And we need to have accountability to those that hold the positions within the district that can make that change. Accountability is a very important issue to you. You shared that there was once a finance committee that you'd like to be restored and you'd like to have an independent audit of the district's budget and spending. How transparent is the district currently? There's a district dashboard that you can visit on the website. Sometimes I've been told by many that it's hard to find the data that they're actually looking for. So there's there's some degree of transparency, but not a deep level of transparency. There's a lot of money that rolls through the PUSD, and not all of it is reaching the classroom or the teachers. We still maintain amongst the lowest paid teachers in all of Los Angeles County, which again is is horrifying to hear, particularly as, as expensive as it is to live in our neighborhoods. We need to address the teacher pay issue. We need to address the resource issue and the equity issue of are we getting enough of the right resources to the right schools and to the right classrooms. We're not right now. We need to figure out how we can do that and how we can hold the district accountable for making sure that all the schools are getting the resources they need and the teachers are paid and the non-teacher staff, the frontline workers, cafeteria workers, school safety officers, nurses, teachers aid, you know, that they're paid what they deserve as well. How do you think these kinds of audits would change the district and would it improve the quality of education that it delivers? I think so. I think we first need to find out where all this money is being spent. Uh, Is it just on consultants and new out-of-the-box educational programs that are delivered to teachers? Where are car allowances? Where is this money going? And how could it be spent in a more effective and efficient manner? So more money is going to the people and to the places where it's going to make a difference. So to the people, to the teachers, and to the places, meaning the classrooms and the school sites. So I think an audit is a first way to understand how we're spending our money, what limitations do we have on our funds. Do we have restricted funds that are only for school site development or restricted from teacher pay? But I'm very committed to making sure that we get our teacher pay on par with the neighboring districts and pay for our non-teacher frontline employees increase as well. I was doing research on the district before our conversation to kind of figure out where and how it compares to neighboring school systems. So we're talking about La Cunada, San Marino, Arcadia, South Pasadena, et cetera. And I found out that La Cunada is ranked third, San Marino is ranked seventh, and Arcadia is ranked ninth in California per this one ranking system, and that PUSD is ranked 232nd. I had no idea that there was such a variation. Right. And we're a town that's right in in the middle of all the towns that you mentioned, a town seemingly with at least the same, if not more, resources and a thriving business community, the world's number one ranked university, 
all of these smart people running around and again a lot of financial resources but it's not making it to the right people to make a difference and that's really horrifying right looking at the numbers compared to locking out and locking out has, has a very checkered history and also it's a lot smaller than us usd is about fifteen thousand students give or take and that enrollment will decline a little bit they're about i think four thousand maybe five thousand but 85% of their students are at least proficient in math and 89% in reading, whereas passing is 35% of students are at least proficient in math and 45% reading. So we're talking about incredible differences just across the city border. How can we make this data more transparent so that people can make informed decisions about where to put their children and then also parents of kids that are going to PUSD can know this information and that can be empowering to them? Right. I think there's two things kind of embedded in that question and making the data more transparent is a function of getting the right people on the board staff to make sure that they are putting together a dashboard with all the relevant data. People, good, bad, or ugly, we need to be able, and people need to be able to see the 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 clear data and make be able, be able to make informed decisions based on that data. What I'd really like to see is the data improve. So when we're more transparent, we're looking at better numbers. We're looking at higher li literacy rates, higher math proficiency rates, higher graduation rates. And that's what we really owe our kids and our families. I think we're doing a terrible disservice to them now. And we need to put out a better product. And I've been maligned for using the word product when I refer to a school because there are children that we're talking about and children's lives and livelihood and, and the trajectory of their lives. But in a sense, the product is the quality of the education, the quality of the teachers, and the outcomes that arise out of the quality of that education. And so there is a productization of our school system that needs to be improved. We need to put out a better product. And if we look at declining enrollment or people choosing private school over public school, they're making that choice because they think private school is a better product and that their child is gonna get a better outcome. We need to change that narrative and we need to make public school a much better option for everybody. It's expensive enough to live in Pasadena. There should be wonderful choices at public school that, that don't cost an extra fee to go to. After launching this podcast in October of 2020, I knew I needed a tool to record the show that would be easy for both myself and my guests. I also wanted a tool that had great audio quality. So I'm excited that the podcasting tool I've used since the early days of the show, Zencaster, is a sponsor. Not only does Zencaster provide studio quality sound, but it also features awesome HD video recordings if you want to upload shows to YouTube or someplace else. What I love most about Zencaster is that I record separate audio and video tracks, so the editing process is much more customized. Plus, there's secured cloud backups so you never lose your interviews, post-production is a simple click away, and a transcript is even auto-generated. It's super easy to use. There's nothing to download. My guests just click on a link and we start recording. Go to zencaster.com pricing and enter promo code thecrowncitypod to get 30% off your first three months with a pro account. You will also get a 14-day free trial. 
Zencaster is the modern web-based solution for the everyday and professional podcaster, and I'm proud to have them as a sponsor. Now back to the show. Well, teachers are the backbone of education, and we're both parents, so we know how important they are to our children. To keep and attract teachers that our kids deserve, we need to offer good salaries and great benefits. And you've stated that this is your goal. And recently, you were endorsed by the United Teachers of Pasadena, which is the union for PUSD teachers and staff. How can we pay our teachers and staff more? Well, I think at first we need to do an audit and to see where all this money is being spent and what we can afford to do. But I am firmly committed to looking at the pay structure of both the teachers and the non-teaching staff and finding a way. There is a way to get it done. We just haven't done it yet. So I'm not sure what the exact path is, but I'm committed to finding it and finding the money. And there's no reason why we should be the lowest paid or amongst the lowest paid districts in all of Southern California. Is there a correlation between that and scores or the ranking? I, I don't know. But, but certainly we have some amazing teachers at PUSD, some wonderfully committed and just really tremendous educators, and they need to be paid commensurate with the work that they do and, and the effort that they put in and the extra hours and the buying of their own school supplies. It's a little bit different when you go to Starbucks. I'm pretty sure the barista doesn't need to go out and buy the beans to make the coffee, but when you go to PUSD, the teacher, in a lot of cases, needs to go out and go to the office supply store and get pens and pencils and paper and things to decorate her or his classroom. And that's not right. We need to have more resources in the classroom. And that's just the start. School funding is largely dependent on student enrollment. We talked about this earlier that PUSD enrollment is about 15,000 students. It's projected to decline to about 14,000 students for the 2023-2024 year. How do you think we can increase enrollment across the district? I think there's a number of ways. I think the Pasadena Foothill Area Realtors Association is really doing a great job now. They have a certificate program for the realtors to learn about PUSD and to learn about the good things that are happening at PUSD. And so when they're working with buyers that are coming in and moving into the Pasadena area, they don't immediately default to, oh, you got to send your kids to private school. They can have a conversation with prospective new homeowners to Pasadena that there are really some great options and, and they're getting better and there's improvement in the public school system. And so I think that's a start for sure. And again, continuing to build on the product that we are putting out by highlighting the great outcomes that we do have with some students that are going on to great colleges. And uh, there's a lot of good that's happening at PUSD. There could be a lot more good happening at PUSD. And I think we need to spend time and effort on marketing what the good things are that are happening at at schools. And and I think that will encourage more new parents and in even existing parents into giving PUSC a real look. In November of 2020, Pasadena passed Measure O, which raised about $500 million in bonds to upgrade the schools. How do you think Measure O will impact our schools and make them more competitive? Well, I think that Measure O funds are tremendous, and they're going to bring about a lot of great facilities, increases, and improvements across all the different schools. And with better facilities, uh, people are attracted to that. It's like the space race at 
private colleges and public colleges around the country who has the better gym or the nicer swimming pool or the fancier cafeteria with farm fresh or farm to table food. And we're not exactly doing that here on the local level, but we do have some beautiful school facilities and school sites that were built in the 20s and 30s and 40s. And many of them need a freshening up and we need hot water in the showers in the gymnasium at Mir High School. We need air conditioning at other schools in the in the gym or in the classrooms. There are definitely a lot of upgrades that are overdue and some deferred maintenance that needs to be done. So Measure O will help a great deal in bringing about those changes to our facilities. This is a question I've thought about a lot. You know, can we spend our way into better schools? That's a great question. Money solves a lot of problems and certainly putting more money into teacher pay so we can attract, hire, retain, inspire, and motivate more wonderful educators is going to be a start. If we have better facilities, the parents are going to be thrilled with the facilities compared to what they find at a private school. Money can help quite a bit, and it's not the only solution. A lot of work needs to be put into curriculum development and improvement and accountability for the plans that we have now. Right now, there's a lot of effort being put into making PUSD great, but there's not as much accountability as we need to, to truly make the types of leaps and bounds changes that we need to make in the short term. We don't have 50 years to wait to improve literacy 1% a year. We need to improve literacy now in the short term. With Friends of Madison Elementary School, you've created a new model in private funding of a public school. How do you think we can replicate this model across the school district so that Pasadena as a community can support its schools? I'd love to take the Friends of Madison model and share it with other neighborhoods and neighbors and other school sites and school areas and have them either replicate what we've done or put their own spin on it, make it better, find a new iteration of what we've done and to bring it to be even more helpful to the schools. A lot of the schools that are in the most high-risk areas don't have a PTA to lean against or an annual fund to lean against. And what Friends of Madison has done has brought the community together, non-parents, non-members of the school, and shown them that when we have better schools and we have better school outcomes and we have more educated kids that are excited about going to school and excited about learning, it improves the neighborhood and it improves the quality of the neighborhood and and brings up home values and it, it really has a positive kind of upward spiral effect on everybody. You strongly believe in public service and giving back to the community. How can we best teach our children that they have the agency, power, and responsibility to play active roles in our civic lives? That's a great question. I think putting civics back into the curriculum of schools is certainly a start later on. But with our own children, I think that we can emulate that type of behavior is the strongest way to do it when our kids see us doing things and doing for others and uh, spending our free time on the weekends or at nights. My kids would ask me all the time, why are you doing that instead of something more fun? And I said, well, this is fun. This is fun that makes a difference in the lives of other people. And I think that by 
showing our kids that as they have a lemonade stand and raise a couple bucks, they can keep some money for themselves, save a little money and give a little money away and that there's a great joy in helping other people. And I think that's a great way to start. In the last several years, school boards have become battlegrounds because of actions that were taken due to the pandemic and misinformation about everything from history that we are teaching to CRT. How can POSD and the board rise above these issues and focus on the vital work of actually educating? That's a great question. And I'm grateful that in our district, in our area, we haven't seen as the inflamed issues that you described as we see in other parts of the country. So I think we're in a better starting position. And I think we need to keep the narrative focused on coming up with very specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, time-bound goals for our superintendent and his or her staff and, and make sure that we're holding them accountable to those goals and keep the eye on really a quality education and not get caught up in the political thing of the day. You recently wrote an interesting opinion piece in Pasadena now about being a parent who sent your children to private school, but that now you're an advocate for public education stemmed from your son's need for special education and how you couldn't lottery into the PUSD system. Do you think that PUSD has more resources now to support students like your son so that if a parent were faced with a similar decision that they could actually send their kid to a public school? I hope so. I believe there's more options now for kids. And I, I, there's, a, I think, a lot of improvement in the special education area at POSC that needs to be done. But I think that over the years, since I had my experience, there's been great positive strides made, which I think is very encouraging. And I intend to support that special education programs and to make sure that we're providing all of the resources that every child needs. Every child is different. Every kid learns differently. Differently. There are a lot of kids with dyslexia, which feeds into our literacy issue that we have. We need to have programs that deal with that on a one-to-one -one basis and catch that really early on and in the kindergarten age range, and that will have a huge impact. But to answer your question, I think the options are greater now and more available. We just need to make sure that we're consistently offering up all of those different options to all the parents and to all the children that need them. You mentioned that every student learns differently. My father-in-law is in town and my three older kids are in school. He's like, they're so different from each other and they probably learn so different from each other. And it's amazing. You think about they're coming from the same house, they're getting the same upbringing, but they learn so differently. They respond to things so differently and you need to have an education platform to respond to each of those needs. If you're elected to the PUSD board, what does success look like to you? Well, success looks like having an immediate improvement in childhood literacy, that early before third grade literacy. Success looks like holding the board and the superintendent rather accountable for the goals that the board would put together for him or her. And success looks like a thriving special education department. Success looks like more greater transparency so parents and anyone can understand what's going on at POSC. When you think about the next five years, the next 10 years and beyond, what do you envision for education here in Pasadena and what role do you envision yourself playing? I believe that we can have both a thriving public school system and a still a thriving private school system and that there will be an education option that's right for every family, right in terms of the type of education that it provides, 
the type of resources that are available, the cost of the education, and the environment in which the children are placed. And there's going to be something for everyone, and they're all going to be great options. And that's what I envision over the next five to ten years. And I hope that I can continue to play a positive role in making that a reality. Well, final question. PUSD District 3 is a pretty diverse district. You have the Robinson Rec Center and the famous John Muir High School. I was mentioning this to another guest that I've had more guests that have gone to John Muir than any place else. Right. It's just so many people have gone to John Muir right. that, are, that are still in Pasadena, still involved in Pasadena, which is so wonderful. If you could design a perfect day in Pasadena from breakfast to late night, what would you do? Where would you go? And what would you eat and drink? Wow, you really kind of threw me on that question. It's a loaded question. I think a a perfect day in Pasadena would be to get up early and take a walk or a run around our beautiful Rose Bowl. There's a number of different coffee places or places for breakfast, which would be great. Then maybe a game of tennis would would be good. Spend some time with the family in one of our beautiful parks, including Robinson Park, as you mentioned, is newly remodeled, and which is a beautiful park. Our new Playhouse Village Park that just was opened a week or so ago, and, uh, and then followed by a plethora of choices of all of Pasadena's new fancy restaurants that we have. I'm not sure which one I'd pick, but I know there's a lot of new great restaurants to choose from. And then to watch that famous Pasadena sunset as the San Gabriels light up and turn kind of that purpley-orange color that we always seem to get on Rose Bowl Day, I think that would be a perfect day in Pasadena. That sounds nice. Well, thank you for being such a great part of Pasadena, for your service to our community, and for being a leader in improving education here in our city, and for coming on the podcast. I greatly appreciate it. Well, thank you. It's an honor to be on the show. Thank you very much. My many thanks to Pat for coming on the show. Like Pat, I have a history with private schools being a product of them, and enrolling my children in private schools because it was the right choice for my family. But also like Pat, I strongly believe that our city should have a robust and competitive public school system worthy of a city we live in. It is what we owe the children of Pasadena, world-class resources, and an education that will last them a lifetime. With friends in Madison Elementary, Pat has created a new support model that I hope will be replicated across PUSD and wherever you call home because we need creative solutions to prepare our children for tomorrow. To learn more about Pat and his campaign, please visit pat4pusd.com. And to support Friends of Madison Elementary, please visit friendsofmadison.org. There are many people that help keep this show going. First, I wanted to thank my Patreon sponsors, Jess and Albert. I really appreciate your continued support. Second, to my family for all their love to keep this project alive. And finally, to all that listen, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show, or supporting it through direct sponsorship or Patreon. This is the only podcast not supported by a mattress company, Athletic Greens, or Blue Apron. I would love your comments, feedback, and suggestions. You can reach me at james at thecrowncitypodcast.com and follow me on Instagram. Until next time, please remember to stay well, finish your homework, and as always, see you around town.
To all that listen from the bottom of my from the bottom of my heart from the bottom from the bottom of my heart. I know that sounds weird. 